What's up? This is Forte Catholic with your beautiful host, Taylor Schroll. It's a great day today. Welcome to the show where everything is made up and the points don't matter because there are no points given for absolutely anything. I want to start the show off today with some breaking news. I have some inside sources in the political world, and I just heard this is breaking on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. There's an election happening tonight. That, that's, that's what my sources are telling me. I'm not sure if you guys have heard, but there is an election tonight. We're getting the results in right now, and I won't really be talking about that. So, um, it, it, But it is the election tonight, um, the game where everything is made up, and the points actually do matter in the election results if uh, but I don't think anybody actually understands the points the point system whatsoever we studied it for like 4 months in college I watched a video about it the other day the electoral college is one of the most confusing things I've ever done in my entire life and I've dated so that's saying something so um last week if you missed it uh we we talked a lot about saints it was all saints day um so we were here uh with with my buddy jake blasek who is in the studio today um he lost all his talking privileges because last week he told a story about uh, about a saint a blessed and it scared all the little children that listen so uh we won't be hearing from jake today at all and he's looking at me now like i'm a crazy person so um <laughs> but if you missed it and you want to check out what he said you want to check out what we talked about last night it was a, it was a lot of fun last week um so if you want to check out the podcast, uh, it, you, it can be found on iTunes, search Forte Catholic, or it can be found on SoundCloud. Um, if you um, want help in following any of that, you can always find all the information on ForteCatholic.com slash radio. That's F-O-R-T-E Catholic.com slash radio. Um, so yeah, iTunes, that's how I listen to all my podcasts, or for all you poor souls who don't have Apple products, you can listen on SoundCloud. It's great. There's something for everybody. So today, we're going to be talking about hope with this election cycle it's been kind of ugly on both sides or on three sides if you're voting third party like it's just been kind of nasty in social media been nasty on the on on television um so i think one of the big things that we all need is hope um and i and i one one thing that i want to do is is talk a little bit about the connection between hope and waiting and something pretty sweet that happened last week. So I'm a huge sports fan, and last week um, the the World Series ended. One of the the game seven was one of the greatest games I've ever seen in my entire life, if not the most exciting game of baseball that I've ever seen. And if you don't follow sports all that much, let me just let me just set this up for you. So the two teams that are playing for the World Series, one team, the Chicago Cubs, has not won the World Series in 108 years. Like, 108 years ago, there weren't cars or telephones. <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, that's the last time they won the World Series. They were playing against the Cleveland Indians, who they haven't won in like 50 or 60 years. So the Cubs drought for not winning a World Series was the longest of all time ever. And then the Indians were up there as well. So these two teams are meeting in the World Series. The Indians, so they play a best out of seven series. The Indians win three games. The Cubs win one. So they're going into this, what could be a closeout game, where the Indians are up three games to one. Cubs win the next game. The Cubs win the next game. So then the series is tied 3-3. Three to three. It comes all the way down to one game. Chicago Cubs go up early. They go up like 3 or 4 to nothing. And then the Indians come roaring back. And then the Cubs score another run. And then the Indians come roaring, roaring back. And like just when you think the Cubs are going to win, they bring in their superstar like pitcher, their closer. He throws, he throws a pitch, clocked out of the stadium. Home run for the Indians. They tie the game. So we're going into extra innings. So, but right before extra innings happens, it starts pouring down raining on, on the stadium. So I want you to put yourself in the mindset of a Cubs fan. They've been waiting for this for 108 years. That's a long time. 
Like you think sitting at that red light on your way to work is a long time. They've been waiting for 108 years. So they've been waiting this whole time. It looked like they were going to win. And then it got taken away from them. And then they're going into the extra innings and it starts pouring down rain. They have to wait some more. It's a 17-minute delay, which ended up being pretty – it was actually pretty short. It, was, it wasn't looking too good. They thought they were going to have to stop the game and play again the next day. That would have been so crazy. But then, like, so I'm sitting there watching this game at my house with my wife. We're kind of, you know, doing the parents' version of going crazy because we, like, want to get up and jump and run around. But our kids are asleep in the other room, so we're like – Doing like silent scream and you know like texting each other our exclamation points and that sort of thing. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. But um, here's the deal. I get emotional about about sports. I don't get emotional about many things. I've played sports my whole life. I know what it's like to have a crushing defeat. I know what it's like to to work for an entire season, have something taken away from you right at the right at the end of the season. So. And I, and I also know the feeling of what it's like to fulfill a dream, to win a championship. I won them growing up. To fulfill a dream of, of being a college athlete, I fulfilled that dream. Like I know what it's like to be on both sides of this both crushing defeat and this amazing victory. So I'm watching that game, and I'm just feeling for these Cubs players, feeling for these Cubs fans. And so if you, don't, if you, if you haven't heard yet, spoiler warning – the Cubs won the World Series, right? They won in the 10th inning. They, and um, there were just so many great storylines. There's a guy who was retiring who, you know, he's waited his whole career to, to be in this big moment. He hit a home run in the World Series, ended up helping them win. And then, like, here's, like, here's the deal that was, that, that was so emotional for me is that I love watching people fulfill their dreams. I love something that somebody's been waiting for for so long finally happen so you know the, the Cubs win they're all going crazy they all storm the field and, and the announcers are just the the television announcers just tying together all these stories about how all these guys have worked so hard how these Cubs fans have waited for so long there's all these stories about like there was one story about a, a man who grew you know a, a, he's, he's an older man now he's an, or I guess older than me <laughs> not, not an older man but you know a, a guy who's, who's a, a grown adult and he drove across across the the nation, like I think it was eight hours to go listen to the game on the radio at his father's grave because him and his father, you know, as he was growing up, they, w- they would go to the games, they'd watch the games, they'd listen to the games together. They're always waiting for the Cubs World Series victory. And there's another lady who was, who was 108 years old <laughs> and she was a Cubs fan and, you know, she's literally been waiting for this her entire life, right? Like that entire span. And like to see all of that come to fruition – was just a beautiful thing. And then so as I was watching the game, you know, it, it, it ends. I'm, I'm watching the whole thing, getting um, excited about the whole thing, nervous about the whole thing. And the game ends. I watched you know, some, after, some after the game reviews and clips and that sort of thing. And then I turn the TV off and I go lay in bed. And then I start thinking about the game and why it was so impactful for me. Number one, because I love sports, and then number two, because I realized that this that this waiting that all the Cubs fans had, this waiting that you know we all felt as watching the game, this hope that they would win, that this is something that hope, that longing, that waiting is something that's very healthy in the Christian life. So, I'm going to walk us through um, the Old Testament story real quick, and and, and we're going to start in the beginning. With Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were walking perfectly in union with God. They were in union with each other in the Garden of Eden. And then you all know how the story goes. Sin happens. They get cut out of of the Garden of Eden. They have to leave this, this paradise. And not only that, but God, you know, there, there are, there are um, punishments for their actions. And one of them, like, so God's saying, like, these are things that are going to happen. Like, childbirth is going to be hard. Men are going to have to work, all, all these things. But even in those punishments, God says, look, there's, I'm promising that somebody is going to come who is going to restore this union that we had in the garden. Restore this union between God and man that I always set up from the beginning. And then there's this guy named Abraham. 
and he's, you know, about as old as, as, as it was as the drought for the Cubs. He's around 100 years old or so. And he's waiting for a son. And God even promised him, look, I'm going to give you a son. Not just one son. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make uh, you have descendants as, as countless as the stars. And he didn't even have one son. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And if you know the story well, you know that he actually didn't wait perfectly. He was promised, he was promised a son, and instead of waiting on the Lord, he went and slept with his concubine, and they had a child, not with his wife. And so that didn't go over too well for obvious reasons. But that, like, God didn't, God, but even though Abraham messed up, God still fulfilled his end of the bargain. He did send Abraham a son. And now the great, you know, one of the God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like the people of Israel came from that line. Noah, wait, you know, he had to wait for a long time in a boat for 40 days and 40 nights waiting for the waters to go down. So for us, like we've, we've been going to church for a while. Even if you haven't, you've probably heard some of these, some of these promises from God. I'll be with you always. I'll save you. I'll protect you. I'll always love you. And then I look at these promises gave to Adam and Eve. The drought wasn't as short as the Cubs drought. Adam and Eve got promised a savior. It didn't happen for thousands of years until the man named Jesus was born. Abraham waiting for a son. It finally happened. But the the countless multitudes and how all people will be reached through Abraham's lineage That's still going on today, fulfilled in that one perfect son in Jesus. Noah waiting on the world to be cleansed for the waters to die down. Like there are things in our life where we feel like the waters are just rising all around us and we can't do anything about it. But just like Noah trusted in God's promise, we have to trust in the same promise as well that even when the situation is not looking good, when things aren't going well for us, God's promise is still remain true. So um, there's a story of, of in my life where I lacked hope. And I think one of, the, one of the biggest tragedies in our lives is, and one of the, things, the biggest things that like, makes us stop dead in our tracks is when we lose hope. So let's say I make a mistake. I can still go fix it, right? I can still try to make, rep- uh, try to make reparations, try to fix it the next time. But it's when we're taken out of situations where we can't fix the problem anymore, we can't improve things, or we're put in places where we want to fix things and we can't, there just seems like a lack of hope. So there's a time for me, I was playing basketball um, as a sophomore in high school. And I had the first, the first three games. So my, my freshman year, I was on you know freshman A team, and, and all, like there were two guys that I grew up with that we, we, we played together for years. We loved playing with each other. It was a lot of fun. And we were, we were pretty darn good together. So the next year, we try out. Those two guys are on varsity. I'm not even on the JV. I'm on the sophomore team. So I'm two teams away from where I think I should be, where I think I deserve to be from, because of like, the hard work that I put in. But I get put on the sophomore team. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make the best of this situation. For the first few weeks, I, I, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I'll just prove myself, and they'll have to move me up, right? First game, I, 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 this, it, it starts off this best three-game stretch of basketball games I ever played in my life. First game, 25 points, 20 rebounds, with 10 seconds left. I get clocked in the eye. My eye gets swollen shut. It ends up being swollen shut for three days. But because it's swollen shut and I got fouled, I go to the, I go to the free, free throw line, shoot a free throw, win the game. So I had 25 points, 20 rebounds, and I hit the game-winning shot. The next game, I score 42 points in the game. That's the most points I ever scored in my entire life. The next game, I was one assist away from a triple-double, which means that I had double digits in points, double digits in rebounds, and I was one assist away from having, a, having a, a, a 10 assists. So I would have been triple-double. It would have been the only one I ever had in my entire career. So cool. Things are going well for me, right? You would think that I'm about to get moved up to the next team, right? Nope. <laughs> so I was a starter on this team. The, the day after that third game, where I just lit it up, the day after, the other four starters get moved up to the JV team, and I'm still on sophomore team. 
It made absolutely no sense to me. I was so frustrated. It's one of the more frustrated times I've ever been in my life. I called my mom from one of those games. And I'm like, Mom, I'm done. This is a hopeless situation. I'm through with this. So frustrated. And we talked for about 30, 45 minutes. And then she tells me, uh, she's walking through the scriptures. And she, she shares with me this one scripture. Um, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I took that as like, okay, there are things in this, like in that current situation, in, my, in that basketball situation, like there are things that are trying to hurt me, that are trying to get in my way from achieving my goals, whatever. But what God is saying is like with, like with him, all these things that are being thrown at you, like they won't succeed. If you trust in the Lord, you lean on the Lord, you have your hope in the Lord. So I did stick with it. I stuck with it that year. It was a tough year. I, I stuck with it the next year. And then what's interesting about that whole thing is like, I love basketball. And I, I, it was my first love, my first sport that I ever loved. My senior year, I actually ended up, I, I signed to run track uh, in college the fall, the fall year. So I actually didn't even end up playing my senior year. But it ended up working out because I loved running track and I was able to focus on that. And what's actually cool is there's a fulfillment in that. Like, you know, so that, that story still kind of hurts, right? Like, it, it still hurts to, like, do all that you can and then not receive something. But, like, it's, it's lessened over the years. But what's really cool is this week we started basketball practice at St. Joseph's Catholic School. And this is my first time that I'm, I'm able to coach. And who am I working with? The freshmen and the sophomores. So the same age that I was at, at the time of that story. So I just want to continue this day um, as we're talking about about hope, hope in these, in these in seemingly hopeless situations and what hope really means. So just to define it um, real quick, it's to trust in, to wait for, look for, to desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. In the Bible, there's several Hebrew, Hebrew verbs that, that um, may in certain contexts be translated to hope in English. We're going to talk about that in our third segment. But before we do that, my, my, um, a guy I've always looked up to, I've actually only met him a couple of times, but I've looked up to him from afar, Mr. Matt Reggett. He's a youth minister at Prince of Peace in Houston. He's going to be on the show. We're going to talk about what hope looks like in his life, how we can have hope in the midst of, of trying times, of confusing times, and also how he has found real hope in some very trying times in his own life. We'll be right back here in just a few minutes. We're back. This is Forte Catholic Radio with your host Taylor Stroll here on election night. We're trying to stay as far away from the election as we can. We have actually have a 10-foot pole in the studio. So the, the main thing, if you're just tuning in, we are just talking about hope tonight. We know this is a night that we all need a little bit of, of the virtue of hope. And um, I have a very special guest here today to talk about that. His name's Matt Reggett, and he's on the line. What's up, Matt? What's up, Taylor? Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, it's, it's my pleasure. So uh, for those of you who don't know who Matt is, I'll tell you what I know first, and then I'll let him share a little bit. Uh, but I grew up in the Diocese of Galveston, Houston, and I always heard the name of this guy named Matt Reggett's a great youth minister. I was a youth minister there for two years, and I, I met him um, at one of the Connect events for youth ministers there, where all the youth ministers gathered together. He's very, uh, very welcoming, very generous with me. So uh, why don't you tell the people, all the people out there listening, we the people, who you are. I thought you said no politics. You started with we the people. I know. It, it's, it's, I, I'm trying to... Uh, have a little fun with it. <laughs> well, like uh, like Taylor said, I uh, I hail from Houston. Actually, uh, a fun fact about me is I'm the youth minister at the parish where I grew up. I used to ride my bike as a little kid to Prince of Peace Catholic Church in the neighborhood. No way. And uh, now I get to drive my car there, and I get paid there. So there's some <laughs> benefits now of getting older, and uh, uh, the church has grown, and my uh, brother Dave, not like, you know, brother Dave, but my brother from the same mother Dave, he's the <laughs> other youth minister with me there at the church, and he actually still lives in the neighborhood where we grew up in my uh, parents' old house. So it's like this small village feel at a mega parish like Prince of Peace, and now I've been there almost 
dare I say, 15 years. So you're beating the average, man. The average youth minister of the church lasts about two years, and you've, you're, you're helping that average along quite a bit. Yeah, youth ministry uh, years are kind of like dog years, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, Taylor. So maybe, uh, maybe radio in the future. Yeah, there you go. You might, you might take my job if you're too good. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so you do youth ministry, and one of the reasons I want to have you on is on this night about hope. One of the biggest places that we can find our hope is in our future, right? And one of the big parts of our future is our youth. So, um, what does that mean for you in y'all's parish for how you do youth ministry? Well, you know, it's this crazy dynamic. I mean, I grew up in the parish as one of the youth. Um, and, of course, I probably thought I knew it all at the time. Uh, then I went off to college, and I uh, went to Texas A&M, by the way. Uh, Giga Maggie's out there. Well, and um, this, We're actually recording in the studio at St. Mary's at Texas A&M, so that's exciting. Well, I have a maroon shirt on, so that should give me some uh, brownie points on yeah, election night. Great so. for our radio Keeping audience. it nonpartisan. Um, yeah, but I grew up, you know, um, in a, in a program that was pretty vibrant, uh, went off to college, had some great experiences in college with both Catholic and non-Catholics, um, really came alive in my faith and that forged, uh, I think my relationship with the Lord in a new way that I'm uh, really thankful it came to home to bear fruit in the Catholic church itself. Um, and then I came home and was in, uh, oil field sales for a while and uh, just decided, you know what, I was going to try and help the youth ministry program out. I had no idea I was going to be the youth minister. So I had all these ideas from growing up, and I had all these ideas from going to college, and I had all these ideas from, you know, uh, helping out at the parish when I moved home. And then I really had no idea, once I inhabited the youth office, what that looked like, uh, because the generations change so fast, and every generation's different from the one before. So it really, uh, you know, reaching into a culture um, that's uh, instantly gratified, um, that's always searching for not necessarily the truth, but what makes what makes them happy. Um, and I don't mean to just, you know, cast this wide, you know, net across all youth, but this is the culture we live in because how fast information travels today. So that was the challenge, is how, how we can see hope, which normally is something that, that we have to wait on, that we have to be patient for, that's out in front of us, in a society and a culture, especially with teenagers, that is often instantaneous and immediate. And that, that's really the challenge for us today, any youth minister, any minister in the church today. Hashtag millennials, man. I can say that because I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm You're not, one of them, huh? <laughs> I'm, one of, I'm one, of the, one of those guys. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I've, I've actually looked up to Prince of Peace and what you've been doing for quite a while. I know y'all are doing some pretty uh, interesting and dynamic stuff to meet these needs. So what's different about your youth ministry at your parish than, say, the average parish? Well, I know that anybody in ministry today is, is, is trying their, their hardest and uh, working their guts out, trying to connect with teenagers and to be faithful to the church and to hand on the faith, you know, the, the teachings of the church, uh, but also to engage them. And I think that's, that's where uh, the direction of our program changes, ultimately how we engage them. Still the formation of their souls, their hearts, their minds is important, but we're trying to lead with a sense of belonging. So if we can help them belong first, they will start to behave like the group, and then they will believe or we can teach them all day long once they feel part of the group, as opposed to just trying to explain the faith to them and hope that it, it holds on, hope that the explanation is good enough, that the, the proof is sound enough, that the church is solid enough to withstand all the attacks they have in the culture. And the, and the numbers show us, right, that, that young adults are leaving the church in droves, um, so the old model isn't working, and it doesn't mean everything about the old model's broken, but I think the approach has to change as the generations change, specifically millennials, who have this desire to belong. So one thing we did is we, we don't do the traditional classroom-style catechesis model. We do these event-driven Saturdays, which are quarterly, and then we really focus on our weekly Wednesday night gatherings for the teens to feel that sense of belonging and still to get formed. Um, so all of our opportunities involve the community. Um, as many as we can, we put them in front of the Blessed Sacrament, um, and then also we lead them into, into worship where they're able to really connect their souls and their hearts together more than just through a classroom exercise. So, yeah, so as you're saying that the, one of the big focuses is that they can find this belonging, for, like belonging and then behave like a group, and then you can really teach them. So what are some of the practical ways that y'all that are able to help them 
along this process of feeling like they belong at your youth group? Really, it's putting as many teens and adults into mission, into ministry, becoming little missionaries, becoming like an extension of youth ministers. You know, think about the youth minister that's always reaching to the kid on the back wall to help him feel a part of it, or to connect with the kid who's sitting in the back row on his cell phone, or, you know, the kid that was dropped off the first time by his mom as a punishment, you know. So we want to, not, we want to duplicate our efforts. So what I do cannot be so difficult that other people can't do it too. We need to empower people, not just, you know, tell them about Jesus, but once they know Jesus, once they've experienced Jesus, to go out and bring that to somebody else. So our adults, our teens alike, on a Wednesday night, say at our youth night, hey, you see all these kids that are here for the first time are sitting alone. I want all of them to come over and join some of your groups. I want you to bring friends over. I want you to introduce them. Let them know that they're welcomed here. So your big your big events your quarterly events on Saturdays. What, so you you mentioned that you just put them in front of the Eucharist. Like, what else does that day look like? You know, and and a, and a a catechist or a volunteer in youth ministry, they've got a lot of gifts. They're also very uh, busy with their own lives, their own jobs, their own families. And I think that we've expected too much out of them sometimes. You know, we, we, we want them 26 nights a week to come do catechesis for us. We want them to plan lessons, to effectively engage the teens, to pray with them, to answer their questions, to manage behavior, to pray over them and for their needs. It's just a lot. So instead, on a Saturday, we bring in, you know, people that do evangelization for their, for their livelihood. We bring in professional speakers, people that, that will um, connect with teenagers, and we let them deliver the message. And then those volunteers, those catechists, those small group leaders can sit with them and break it open. So that's really where we need them is to walk alongside the teens, not to be their everything. Um, we end the day with mass. We, we have adoration in the middle of the day. We even have time for, like, an activity or some games and snacks and, you know, things that make millennials smile. So it, we try and make it a full-spectrum day because it's a long day. It's from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. But something beautiful happens when you can have them for several hours in a row that a night a, one hour a night a week cannot touch. Right. So then the next question is, what do you, what do your Wednesday nights look like? What's different about your Wednesday nights? Well, our Wednesday nights, um, we bring them together. Uh, when we went to this model, our Wednesday night numbers tripled because they no longer had the need on a Sunday night to, to have to be there. So if they can give us one night a week, we hope that it's Wednesday. We hope that they'll come back and tell their friends about it. We want the entry point for that to be really low. So, like, we don't do, like, six-week series. Like, well, sorry if you missed the first five weeks because uh, you're a loser. No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we want them to come each and every week and feel comfortable coming. They don't even have to bring their Bibles, you know. They can just come. Um, we'll provide all of that stuff. They do small groups at the end of the, less of the message that night. We do worship also. My brother Dave, of course, he's a worship leader. So we've got all the – I think we have the tools in our tool belt there on a Wednesday night. It's just a matter of each Wednesday night kind of executing that. And we're really looking forward to, uh, in about two weeks here, we open up our brand-new youth center at Prince of Peace called the St. Pedro Cullingzad Youth Center. It's a mouthful. You can look him up later. But it's going to really take, I think, our ministry to another level because we'll have a home where the kids will really feel that sense of belonging. Congratulations on getting that open, man. Yeah. It's very exciting. Thanks, man. And I, Long I'm... time coming. That's why I'm still there. I was just waiting for the building to get built. <laughs> There you go. Uh, so yeah, the the next the other reason I wanted to kind of have you on is I, I've actually heard part of of your story. You did a training on how to deal with grief um, that that I attended, and I got so much out of it. So um, for the next next few minutes, I just want to talk about how you find hope in the midst of of these things that happened um, in your family. Um, just kind of explain what happened, and then how how God helped you through that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, as I was telling, I think I was telling you earlier that I feel like it's this, this big, heavy cross um, that the Lord entrusts me with. Um, he didn't, you know, make this tragedy in my life happen, but he does uh, want me to carry that on behalf of, of the church and for others and to really meet people where they are. Ten years ago, my, my wife and I lost a daughter suddenly in the middle of the night, no explanation. Um, she just didn't wake up. And wow. she was our firstborn. Her name's Mary Claire. Um, and I was already the youth minister. So here I'm working at a church and, and not really feeling, you know, feeling the love of God, not feeling like God's loving on me, not feeling like, you know, he's looking out for me. Really, we had a, a tough uh, point in our relationship. Um, and then from that, you know, my wife and I just really coming together, um, 
surrounding ourselves with a, a close circle of friends and supporters, because that's really hard when you're, when you're grieving publicly at a church, when everybody wants to help and has good intentions. And sometimes those, you know, come out a little sideways or people give you the pious answers about how God does this to you for a reason and, and all the other kind of like, you know, pagan notions that we, we think are helpful, um, but, really, but really aren't. And I think now, you know, the hope of that, the hope is, is that now our ministry, my wife and I do a lot with other, with other families, we, we speak a bit and you would think that, man, who would want to do that? Who'd want to go tell about the darkest, hardest, most grief-stricken period in their lives? And I really don't want to, Taylor. I mean, it's not like I wake up every day going, man, I cannot wait to share that story again. Yeah, I bet. But I pick the cross up, and I just say, Lord, lead me. Lead me to someone who needs a message of hope tonight, that it isn't over, that this isn't the end of the race, that we're not done. And, you know, a scripture passage um, that really kind of comes to mind for me in all this, uh, Romans twelve twelve, rejoice in hope, endure in affliction, persevere in prayer. So it links hope, affliction, and prayer all together as something that, that we're striving for, that we never arrive at. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be fully healed. I, I tell people I have a Mary Claire-sized hole in my heart that only Jesus can fill. And we just try every day to fill that hole with, with the love of God and to share that with other people uh, that are grieving. And so I don't know what it looks like. You know, I, I, t- People ask me all the time, how do you do it? Well, I, I don't know. It's not really of me. It's, it's just trusting in the Lord hoping that he will fulfill at the end of time all of these sufferings that we're experiencing now. That's kind of what I carry around with me. Right. So so in that in that scripture that you shared, it's interesting that it, you know, cuz we're you had a very real affliction. It it tells you to endure and it then connects that to prayer. And I, and I think a lot of times whenever um like I haven't had a, a tragedy as, as large as that, but like we all go through some kind of affliction, some greater, some less. And I feel like when I have these little afflictions, that's when I don't want to pray. It's when, you know, I can, right. you can, you, I can get mad at God. I can, I can get frustrated. I can try to, you know, be prideful, try to fix the situation on my own. So what did that, what did that process kind of look like for you? Cause I know obviously it had to hurt, but how did you get to a point where like you weren't in despair anymore? Yeah, it was a choice. Uh, because there wasn't a warm fuzzy associated with it at the time. Um, my wife and I chose every morning for a month to wake up and go to a neighboring church for Mass. Not because we're like, oh, man, you know, we just, we just really need to feel close to God. It was like we needed to fall into the arms of God and just trust He was going to catch us. And so we just chose. We just chose, you know. Um, my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So we were just choosing that. It wasn't because it was a warm fuzzy, kind of like Jesus on the cross. He chose that for us. He didn't have a warm fuzzy, well, probably not the kind of uh, affection we were thinking at the time, all kinds of emotions going on in his body at the time, but he wasn't feeling the sentimentality or the emotion, um, uh, the connection at the time. He was, he was doing this because it was a choice. And so really sometimes, uh, Taylor, I think that's the deal is if it doesn't feel good, we think we need to move on from it. Or if our prayer's dry, we need to stop. But I'm going to tell people, just choose it. Choose it when it's hard, and the dividends will come in the times when you are held up when things get even harder. That's that's so amazing, man. Like your your story, like I saw it years ago, and even just hearing it again, it it's so inspiring. I know it was so hard for you, but it's inspiring for, for others who, who go through any kind of tough time to, to see that y'all made that choice. Um, so just this, thank you for that example, and thank you for, for sharing that with us. I, I know it's not easy, but, but I, I do really appreciate it. You're welcome, Taylor. You're welcome. And I, I, don't, I know it's hard, um, and I know it's hard for people that there's all kinds of afflictions out there people are dealing with, broken relationships, addictions. And I'm not saying any of it's easy, um, I know, I know what not easy looks like. It's, it's something beyond us. That's what hope promises. It's always out in front of us. And the only time we're not going to have hope is when we finally arrive at heaven. Hope won't be important anymore because we'll have arrived. And that's my, that's my hope. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> Woohoo! Heaven. Well, I think we're all looking forward to that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. So I know, I know, uh, actually today you're planning, a talk, and, and I know a lot of people who hear you on the show today are going to be very interested in your story and very interested in what you do, and I know that you go around and speak a lot. I know you're speaking at a door tomorrow night, so if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what do you speak about, and then how can they, how can they contact you? 
Yeah, I, uh, I've had a lot of opportunities, I think, because of uh, doing youth ministry for so long, being in a big city, knowing great folks like you, and, and having a story um, that I have had a chance to, to do a lot of speaking opportunities. And if people want to, you know, to talk to me more about that, they can always contact me at, the, at Prince of Peace, or they can send me an email um, uh, through the church or through a door, and uh, I'd be glad to, to share my message of hope with them any way I can. Well, good, man. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the air, and I, I hope uh, I hope we can get together at some point soon, and uh, you can buy me that lunch like you promised, or I might buy you lunch for coming on the show, so we're not very sure, but I, I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, that's all the time we have for today, but uh, I'd love to have you on again at some other point, and I'd love to see you soon, and, and blessings on you and your ministry and your talk tomorrow and your family and all that good stuff. Amen, brother. You too, my friend, and everybody listening. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, God bless, man. I'll talk to you later. God bless. segment of the day on Forte Catholic Radio. I am Taylor Schroll. That was Matt Reggett's on that uh, interview in the last segment. He was great. Thanks again, Matt, for being on the show and sharing your story with us. Um, as promised, I want to finish up this, this show today with looking through the scriptures and, and how um, this promise, this hope, um, this word hope and this waiting has been a big theme in the scriptures. So but before I do that, I do want to address one little thing, um, another reason for us to have some hope. So a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, the Red Sea Radio banquet um, occurred, <laughs> and it was really cool. So what what this was was all the people in the Bryan College Station area and from all kind of, all around there got together for this fundraiser. There was dinner. There was a speaker, and there was this one really cool moment where the, the, the president director of, of the station came up and he had some great news about the future of Red Sea Catholic Radio we're recording right here today. And he put up a map and he showed how far Red Sea Radio on, um, on the FM station here locally reaches. And then he put up, and he showed like that, that circle, right? And then he sh- they've been working on expanding into, into other areas in Texas. And he put up another circle where there's a station that's open. So we might be able to reach hundreds and thousands of more people um, here in the very near future. And that's thanks to um, those who, who listen to the show, who have, who have uh, listened to the station, who have co- contributed to uh, Red Sea Radio. So I want to thank you for that. And it's just very exciting to be a part of this, even though I've only been on the air a couple of months now. It's, it's really cool to see that there is great hope in the future of this great apostolate, this great ministry that God has called the people in this area to, and I'm just very honored to be a part of it. And um, so just, yeah, continue to pray for the station, pray for me, pray for those who work on the station who are trying to share the, the gospel message, the message of the church um, with people through the, through the radio. So um, that was very exciting. It was a lot of fun. So let's, let's, let's just dive into this, right? So I said earlier that, to, that hope, I, I, as I was preparing for a show, I looked it up um, and I found this, I was looking for like the biblical definition of hope. It says to trust in, to wait for, look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. And I mentioned that in the Old Testament, there are several Hebrew verbs that may, in certain contexts, be translated to hope. So I want to look at a few of those. So as you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, some in Greek, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. Um... So there are a bunch of different words that, like, there is a ton of different words in Greek for love, and we have one, so we kind of lose a little bit in translation there. But one of these words that means to hope, that may denote, um, it may denote hope in the sense of trust, in, in the sense of trust. Wow, that was a hard sentence. So as Jeremiah addresses God, he says in Jeremiah 14, 22, our hope is in you. So it's saying, like, that our hope is in you is the same thing as like we're putting our trust in you. 
And then another meaning for it is that it's a noun of the same root is often translated as hope, meaning trust. And there's another verb that's uh, that 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 also means to trust. So there's a bunch of different words in the scripture that mean that that equ- like make equal the word hope and trust. So when you say I hope in the Lord, what you're really saying is that I trust that He will be true to who He is, that He will fulfill His promises to me, to the church, to His people. So I really like that because I, I think a lot of times when we think of hope, we'll say like, oh, I hope I get a good grade on my test, or I hope I get that job. But a lot of times we kind of sit on our hands, right? I feel like we use hope as a cop-out word a lot. Oh, I hope I win the lottery, but then you don't go buy a lotto ticket. Like, you have to do something in order for some things to come to fruition, right? We can't be passive in this. Hope is an active word. Hope is a verb. For the most part, even in the scripture, most of these are verbs. It's like, I hope in the Lord means that I am trusting in him and I am continuing to move towards those promises. So also in the Old Testament, believers are encouraged to wait, hopefully, and expectantly. I love this word because um, as people, as I was learning to pray as a, as, a, as a young person, but this was actually in college, somebody told me, you're not praying with enough hope. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, do you believe that God will answer your prayers? Because I was, you know, praying for a bunch of small things, but there were some big things that I really wanted uh, God to do in my life and the life of people around me and the ministry that I was doing. I really wanted those big things. And I think I had a lack of trust in God, so I wouldn't pray expectantly. I wouldn't pray expecting God to answer my prayer, to hear my cries, and to, to show up. So I think a lot of us lack that either in the past or off and on or whatever, but I think a lot of us lack that. Where if we lack in hope, where we struggle, in times where we're struggling with seeing that there's a hope for the future, we're not trusting. So our prayer in that time can be, God, help me to trust in you in this moment. And then one of the, one of the big things that I do when I'm in a time of, of, of hopeless, hopelessness where I feel like nothing can improve and nothing can go wrong I just return to the scriptures. There are hundreds and hundreds of promises that God makes for us, makes for his people, makes for you, makes for me. And so often, you know, we, we have this negative self-talk or we hear people say negative things about us. Like we need the, the truth. We need the scriptures to be pouring into us and we need to be hearing those promises and how much God loves us. God wants us to be with him for, for eternity. And he wants us to live for him. It says that uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Psalms, there's another theme that says, in times of trouble, one should wait for the Lord who will turn things around. I think this, this is one thing where, okay, maybe I see a problem, whether it's in ministry or my personal life or somebody else's life, and I see this time of trouble, and I just want to spring into action. I want to fix it. I'm Taylor. I can do it all, right? Nope, I've proven time and time again that that is not true. Jake, <laughs> my producer, is shaking his head no because uh, I supervise him and he knows that I mess up quite a bit. So in times of trouble, we should wait on the Lord who will turn things around. If these big issues are really going to be turned around, we need to stop and, and, and ask God and to pray to God to help in those situations. And then, and only then, spring into action. Because as I said earlier, hope isn't just, you know, praying and then sitting on your hands. But it's not just springing into action all the time and not taking that time to pray as well. It continues saying that God's promises for those who wait on him will not be disappointed. God is able to bring about the realizations of one's hope. Looking with expectation is the same as hoping. So today, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's election night. I want to say, like, what are, you, what are you afraid of? Where are you lacking in hope today? And just take that to prayer. Ask God, how can I trust you more today? Go to the scriptures and, and find places. Google 
God's promises in scriptures and read through some of those. There are so many of them. I've, I've seen, I've seen uh, so many times t- t- today and yesterday as people are preparing for the election night. There's like, you know, whether Trump or Hillary wins, God's still king. And there's a there's a song that's been that's been a big deal uh, for me lately. It's high above it all, and I, I I've, I've talked about it on the air before. I have a blog about it on my website. If you go check it out, if you want, it's a great song called "High Above It All," and it's like kingdoms rage and nations shake, nations shake, but you God remain high above it all. Like God, God's got this. And it's funny because I look back in salvation history, which is one of the things that we've been doing tonight, and looking back at like, oh, look at the Old Testament, looking in the scriptures to find where God talks about hope and waiting. And I, and I picture myself um, looking at, or I, I try to put myself in the perspective, the mindset of, of the people of Israel. As they're waiting, they're not only just like waiting for Jesus to come sitting on their hands or just, or even just spring into action. They're waiting for God to come, this promised Messiah for over 2,000 years in times that aren't always rosy. They're, t- they're enslaved in Egypt. They finally get into the promised land, but after 40 years of wandering, because they couldn't figure that out. Then they get... Then they finally get to the promised land, and things are good for a little while. And they have these two great kings, and then the kingdom starts to fall apart. And these other nations start taking them over, taking their people to be slaves elsewhere, breaking up the, breaking up the community, breaking up the nation. They become enslaved, and then we get into the 300 years before Christ and you know, the times where the book of Maccabees are being written. And they're just like the Jewish people, the Israelites were just being persecuted all over the place. And they're, they're looking up at God. There's so many times in that, in, in that time period of the prophets and of Maccabees where they're looking up at God and saying, why is this happening? I thought you were a good God. I thought you were going to send this Messiah that was going to fix everything. And God continued to say, hope in the Lord. I promised you that this would happen. I promised you that I would send a Messiah. And then he does. In the Gospels, we hear of this man named Jesus who gets sent to the earth, who is that Messiah, the one true king. And what does he do? He teaches us how to live. He dies on a cross. And what does he do? It says, it says in, in one of the prayers that we say at Mass, or, we, or it's, a, it's a version of the creed. So we actually say it when we say the Rosie, the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. So he died. Jesus died. And because he bore all the sins of humanity, he, he descended into hell. And that's where he defeated Satan. But he didn't just go down there to defeat Satan. He went to go bring back all the people who were in limbo, there's this weird place where it's like, okay, before Christ came, there were bad people and there were people like Abraham and Noah. And Noah's like, okay, well, where were they? Well, there were, you know, it's people, theologians can argue about it for forever, but there was just this place where they were just waiting, 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 waiting for the Messiah to come. Think about that moment. <laughs> this Messiah that they've been waiting for and then they see him, and he's there to save him, and he does. Man, that's better than the faces I saw on those Cubs fans last week when they won the World Series after 108 years of waiting. The promised Messiah, the Messiah they waited for, came, won the victory, and won it for them. So for you and me today, whenever we are in these times where the waters are raging, when everything's going crazy, when, when people can't agree and people are yelling at each other and, and beating each other up because of this election night and because of everything that's going on, God's promises remain true. There's still hope to be found in a future. I tell you what, man, you can say whatever you want about Trump or Hillary. They're not as bad as some of the emperors the church has endured before this. <laughs> They're not as bad as some of the people who enslaved the, the, the Israelites. Now, I'm not saying they're the greatest either, but they're not as bad as some of these, uh, some of these people that, 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 that people of God have had to endure in the past. So where can we find our hope? 
And then how can we patiently wait? We're about to enter the season here in a few weeks of Advent that's all about waiting. And it's so funny because we get to Advent, we get to Lent. One of my favorite days of the year is the first day of Lent. And everybody's like, oh, what are you getting up for Lent? You're like, oh, I haven't thought about it yet. <laughs> like that, like it's, it's really funny because in every other aspect of our life, we know the importance of like preparing for something. <laughs> so if you have a test coming up or a big presentation coming up, you prepare for it, right? You plan what you're going to do and then you execute it. So I want you today, as you're listening to this live on the air, which you might not be in because you're watching the election coverage, or if you're listening <laughs> this, this coming week on the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, as you're listening to this, I want you to think about how you can grow in hope through this waiting season of Advent that we have coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, as I was just doing some research for this show, I, I found this, uh, this quote from St. Padre Pio. If you hadn't heard of him, go look him up. He's great. We're about to have to wrap up the show, so I can't go into this whole story about him. But he has this very, very simple quote that I think is great for us today. He says, pray, hope, and don't worry. <laughs> That's it. That's his quote. And I love that because this connects to the, what we talked about in the first segment, what uh, Matt, Mr. Matt Ricketts talked about in the interview in the second segment. Like, hope is an action word, and it's connected to these other things like endurance and affliction and prayer. Padre Pio is saying the same, very similar thing. We need to pray. We need to do that first. We need to come to God and have a relationship with him, with him. We need to grow in hope. We need to have hope. And like Matt, Matt said, whenever he was going through these tough times in his life, him and his wife made a choice to put their hope, to put their trust, to put their faith in God. And then don't worry. <laughs> Walk up to somebody today who's, stre who's stressing about, uh, about the election and tell them, don't worry. Or if you're listening to this tomorrow or the next day, Walk up to somebody who's sad about the result because there's going to be people who are sad about the result either way. And tell them, pray, hope, and don't worry. And also, the last thing that I just want to say is I was, I was looking through and I did this little like search and find on my computer for the word hope just to see if I had any like cool quotes like saved up somewhere about hope. And what I found was um, something from, from my personal prayer. Months ago. And it says, uh, it's a quote from scripture. And then it was a challenge from me to myself. The scripture says, he, as Jesus saying, he who places his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. Wow, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But he's talking about like following Christ, right? If we're going to put our hand to the plow, that means we're following Christ. If we look back, he's saying that we're not worthy of him. And I find this and I'm like, okay, why does he say this? Because a lot of times um, we, we have, you know, we have the future. God is in the present. He is here. We have our past. So uh, oftentimes we, we, we spend too much time in our, of our thoughts um, in the past. And it's really funny because the, the future is obviously not in the present. But what can we do right now in the present to prepare for the future, to be ready for the future? We can have hope right now. So next week, I'm going to have uh, another special guest, Mr. Uh, Dr. Seth Sullivan. He's a, a very special doctor. Very, um, I'm going to let him explain it next week, uh, talking about how he finds God in his, in, in his work as a doctor, working with very, very sick people. So tune in next week. Find the, uh, please like, rate, and share the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud so more and more people can hear this. So see ya. <laughs> <laughs>